as I was saying. Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 61 of the Essential X Lapsed. Um, so, uh, uh, what's new? Anything going on? Well, I guess I could go first. Um, it's uh, been a minute. It's been uh, it's been a lot of minutes actually. This is the longest I've gone between episodes uh, in seven years. Uh, it's been since August, and here we are in uh, early mid January of 2023. Uh, last episode I think was something like August 11th of last year, which is a pretty long time ago, uh, relatively speaking, compared to my usual output. And, um, you know, I'm sitting here now, I was going to say I didn't know what this episode was going to look or sound like, the one that, you know, we're doing right now. But uh, as I'm sitting here, you know, actually talking into a microphone, I still really don't know what this episode is going to wind up um, being or sounding like, or if I'm even going to publish it when I'm done recording it. Uh, I guess we'll kind of play that by ear. Um, now, one of the more challenging things about coming back after a long hiatus is the weird struggle I have in my head about whether or not I should talk about what, you know, kept me from doing this for the past several months. And while part of me feels kind of obligated to maybe explain a little bit, another part of me realizes that um, I'm just, you know, some guy <laughs> talking into a microphone who will eventually start talking about a comic book. And um, I assume that nobody really cares about what's going on or what was going on in uh, the, you know, the old everyday life here. And that's not me trying to, you know, politely say it's not anybody's business because... Quite frankly, if you invest any amount of time in listening to me talk about anything, uh, you may as well be family, and uh, I am ever the open book. But um, at the risk of going too deep here, I'll just say that um, I am not the easiest person to get on with, I'm not the easiest person to live with, and I'm definitely not the easiest person to be married to. And every once in a while... Um, I need a reminder of that, you know, um, now my wife, who is every bit my better half and, um, probably an actual saint, um, she got the patience of a saint, that's for sure, um, she's put up with a lot of stuff from me here, just my relative aloofness and, um, lack of being present all the time, uh, you know, like I said, I don't want to go too deep, but, um, I'm not always the best partner here, so late last summer, I had to kind of shift priorities a little bit. You know, the show and the, the blog and all that stuff, that wasn't necessarily getting in the way of me being present. It was just something that took up some time in my day, and it was one of the few things in my day that I have even just a little bit of control over, where I can decide to do it or not to do it. You know, you can't do that with, you know, the day job. You can't do that with other responsibilities. But for a hobby that maybe you invest a little bit too much time in, you can you can kind of... There's wiggle room there, right? You can you can take stuff off your plate. And so that's, uh, that's what I did. And if you've been with me for, you know, any length of time, 
you'll know that uh, doing that with the show, uh, stopping the show, stopping the blog, just stepping away from what we do here, it's a pretty big deal for me. You know, um, like I said, if you've been with me, we've been through some really good times, we've been through some really bad times, we've had celebrations, we've had holidays, we've had loss, we've had really, really big loss, and still the flow of content uh, didn't stop. It may have changed a little bit, it may, be, it may have been a repurposing of something old, it may have just been something very self-indulgent, it may have been just a complete tonal shift, but every day there was something, I was able to offer something. So for me to actually step away, well, that might be an indictment on just how, uh, how serious the situation got there for a little while. Now that all worked itself out uh, relatively quickly and uh, uh, in, in all the ways it should have. Um, everything is good now. Uh, I think I did a fair amount of maturing even at my you know ripened age. I guess there's always, there's always some maturing you can do and I, I, feel like, uh, <laughs> I feel like I did that. But it was only after you know all those storm clouds cleared that I began to really kind of catastrophize and spiral. Um, I guess it's part of my personality or, or you know chemistry that I always need to have something to be fretting about. And um, I'm not gonna lie, uh, it got pretty dark for a little while, and. Um, I don't want to say I'm ashamed or embarrassed to say it, but uh, I'm certainly not proud to say it. Uh, I got to a point where I wasn't sure I was going to be able to claw my way back. It's uh, a lot of the you know idle hands are the you know devil's playground or whatever a plaything, whatever that saying is. Just found myself with too much you know idle thinking time, which was a pretty um, surprising turn of events because you know in the seven-ish years that I was doing daily shows or blog posts or whatever, I always pictured, you know, the time when I stopped to be like the first day of summer, you know, after a long, grueling school year. It's just like the world's your oyster. You got all the time in the world to do whatever you want to do. Uh, everything, everything is kind of just put in your lap. And when I decided to stop, I was expecting to wake up the next morning and, you know, be kind of just overrun with, like, inspiration and um, just wanting to do every damn thing in the world. Which, I'm, I guess, was kind of <laughs> the sensation that I got, but it was more of a panicked feeling of, oh god, what now? And there were a lot of days early on in my little hiatus that I thought, you know, hey, screw it, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go back. I'm going to start recording again just to fill this time because um, I'm certainly not doing anything productive with this uh, time that I've gifted myself. It was basically just sitting and catastrophizing and um, just really not being in a very unhealthy headspace. And um, I think before I left, I, I mentioned that I'd had a uh, pretty severe panic attack. And they were starting to come a little bit more frequently around this time. Uh, my doctor had given me, I don't remember what the pill is called here. I just called them chill pills because I would take them and uh, everything would just be cool. You know, the panic would subside. I'd be 
even more worthless than or useless than usual. Uh, but I wasn't, you know, my throat wasn't closing up. My eyes weren't going glassy. It was, you know, it was a way to fix that sort of a situation. A little bit of a chicken and the egg thing came out of that here, uh, where I started to think like my body was trying to give me those panicked reactions just so I would have to take a pill because I liked the feeling that the pill gave me. So it became very circular. And uh, I have an addictive personality, which is, uh, I mean, if you've listened to my stuff, you'll know that. But um, yeah, things uh, <laughs> things were not great uh, early on there. And like I said, I, I always thought about maybe coming back and maybe just doing like one episode because the way I left was not the way I wanted to leave. And it wasn't a planned exit. It wasn't a planned hiatus. It was just something that kind of happened. So I kept thinking about coming back just for one show to say, hey, I'm taking a little bit of a break, you know, just to not leave the few people who still pop in here hanging, you know, not have them worrying like, wow, is, is he dead? You know, is he alive? What's going on here? But then I realized that had I done that, it would have just been feeding the, you know, the, the addiction that I have to doing this because this, it cre you know, creating stuff, writing, recording, it can be a bit of a chore, but it's something that I love, you know? Um, there were times where I'm dreading it. There were times where it, like, was, like, the last thing I wanted to do, but by the time I got to the end of an episode, I'd fallen in love with the medium all over again. It was, like almost every single time I'd finish something up and it would just be like I'd be bursting with maybe not pride but just a feeling like I did something and a feeling like I shared something and just I don't know it's it's hard to explain you know I just really really loved the feeling of creating something and I knew that if I came back for just one more round um I, you know, I'd be back and I wasn't ready or wasn't in the right headspace to be, you know, back back. And even as I speak to you now, I don't know what the future holds for much of anything. But even sitting here now talking and even though I'd forgotten how squeaky my chair is, I've forgotten how much my throat gets clogged as I try to talk and here and how many times I've had to edit this, even in the first seven or eight minutes that we've recorded right now how much I love this, how much this, uh, how much joy and maybe not so much purpose, maybe purpose, I don't know, it gives me something to do, <laughs> and uh, I usually would say things like, um, I would try to wake up before the day actually started so I can get this stuff done, you know, before, you know, the real, the real day starts, responsibilities start to set in, and that was true, but it wasn't Perhaps I described it wrong, you know, I made it sound like I set an alarm for, you know, 4.30 in the morning so I could get up and get this out of the way. Eventually it became that, but initially, when I started X-Lapsed, as a matter of fact, um, I, I, I didn't set an alarm for 4.30 in the morning, but I, like, sprung out of bed then, because I couldn't wait to get back into this. I couldn't wait to, to write up a script. I couldn't wait to record another episode. I couldn't wait to release something. And so it just became that thing that I woke up early for. But it, it 
was very organic. Like most of the stuff that I've done here on the blog and on the shows, the intrinsic desire to do it is is just that. It's intrinsic. It's organic. Uh, it's something that I, I really want to do. And it's actually like <laughs> not doing it for as long as I haven't done it. It was almost like withdrawals, you know? It's, you know, I... I it's weird, you know, I talk about addictive personalities, and I always try to preface that or, I guess, footnote that with how my addictions are very, you know, Nerf ball version of addictions. Because I know people out there struggle with real, you know, things that uh, truly inhibit uh, their, their lives and uh, are a real challenge every single day. Whereas mine are a little bit more on the, uh, you know, the silly cartoony uh, end of the spectrum. So anyway, let me let me move along here. We'll uh, hopefully get to the actual comic book content very very soon, and hopefully I'll remember to put a timestamp in the show notes so people don't have to listen to me blather on about uh, stuff they they very likely do not care about. But um, the road back to uh, quote unquote normalcy, you know, doing doing a show again was. Um, Kind of like it was a snake bit at every single turn here. I'd honestly been planning to come back since the middle of October. So what is that? Three months ago. I put you know things in motion to come back uh, full force. And um, you know I, I even if you if you're part of the uh, Facebook group, I posted a picture of my um, my to read box. You know all the current year X Men stuff that I hadn't yet gotten to. And I'd mentioned that I was now um, ex-relapsed or re-ex-lapsed or however, <laughs> however I said it. Um, when I started the program uh, back in 2020, I had 80 books that I had to read. I was 80 books behind uh, the current, you know, releases. And come October, I was once again about 80 books behind. So it felt like it felt like an interesting little experiment. Like, oh, you know, I'm as far behind now as I was then. Maybe this is the right time to come back. And although I really wasn't enjoying the X-Books uh, toward the end of um, our last time with them, I was hoping that maybe this would be a case of, you know, absence making the heart grow fonder or whatever, whatever that statement is, where maybe there was just enough time removed from the last time I, you know, indulged or dipped my toe in the X-Books that... Maybe things would feel novel again. Maybe things would feel new. Maybe I had enough distance between me and my past self where maybe some of those chips could fall off my shoulder and maybe some of those writery ticks would um, not be quite as annoying <laughs> as maybe they became toward the end of the last go-round. And so, you know, I posted that picture. I spent um, two or three days, you know, putting together x-lapsed cover art for like the next 40 episodes you know and trying to figure out where certain bits of x-men unlimited fit in it was like a uh it was like a conspiracy board with the yarn and stuff trying to see what came next how things should go how what would be the most advantageous way to cover these books so i put a lot of effort into you know hitting the ground running and making it so it didn't seem like we missed a beat on the show and uh Everything was kind of falling into place here. I'd read a few issues. I was starting on scripts again. And then I decided to 
uh, log into Chris's on infinite earth.com for the first time in like three months. I hadn't logged in for a very long time, not since I quit basically. And uh, I found that I had probably two dozen uh, comments that needed to be moderated, including a couple from Hillary Barda, who commented on my Marvel Riot annotations that I gave up on. But the comments were very, very nice and offered a lot of insight as to the, the process of uh, Marvel Riot. A lot of the in-jokes were explained. Um, it was just really, really cool. And I felt so bad that these comments just sat in my moderation purgatory for as long as they did because uh you know i doubt anybody's popping onto my blog to see if their post had been or their comment had been published i don't think anybody cares that much but still you know it'd be nice if i were more on top of that but in reading past uh Barta's comments um well i'm not gonna go too deep into this but i got a pretty good reminder as to why i have comment moderation on uh uh, people did not like, or maybe just one person with a lot of different email addresses didn't like, um, that I didn't like a certain book. And uh, it got kind of ugly and kind of um, nasty. I was uh, called just about everything in the book. And, um, you know, I've only had, you know, a slew of, you know, nasty comments twice in seven years. And I've talked about the first one uh, when Reggie and I covered Mother Panic on the Weird Science Show. I'm pretty sure there's a an entire episode of Chris's on Infinite Earths dedicated to explaining uh, that whole situation. But this was a, another time here, and when I got all those comments about Mother Panic, I remember, well, pardon the pun, I panicked. <laughs> I uh, I felt very very uncomfortable. I I wanted to fix the situation as quick as I could. I just felt, I felt really, really terrible. Um, this time, though, I kind of just felt mad. <laughs> um, and like I said, I'm not going to go too deep into the comments here. If anybody wants to know, you can reach out to me. I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, it's not like it's a huge deal, but just not something I want to really talk much more about. But when I saw that, I kind of threw my hands up and I was just like, why? You know, why, why am I, why am I going to put myself through this? Um, and so, you know, I, uh, <laughs> those few days of, you know, messing around with uh, my fake ass Photoshop software, trying to put together these cover images, trying to get, you know, skeletons of blog posts written up and show notes put together and all that stuff that I was doing to, you know, put the wheels back on this, this show and this channel it just felt so pointless and you know like a petulant child I was like I took my ball and I went home and I was just like nah it's I'm just done now there's there's, there's no joy here in in Mudville so uh once again doing any sort of uh you know blogging or podcasting became just something I wasn't gonna do <laughs> I wasn't gonna put myself in that uh in that situation and that uh, like I said that was October then a couple of things happened in November. Um, November, I there was something I really wanted to do in November. Um, something that actually eats away at me and has eaten away at me for years now that I haven't done it yet. And that is putting out the final episode of The Cosmic Treadmill. Um, November 
of last year was it's weird it, it marked a quarter of a decade since we lost Reggie two and a half years feels like yesterday feels like a hundred years ago it feel it's just such a I mean since 2020 things have been just so very very strange but it's bothered me ever since the summer of 2020 that I haven't put that episode out yet and so I wanted to do that I wanted to put that out in November and I still couldn't bring myself to do it it's so weird that it's been you know a quarter of a decade and I'm still not ready to draw a line under it. You know, and it's, I don't know if I've talked about this much on the air before. I know I've talked about this with uh, friends of mine, but um, it's like if I do episode 150, put it together, upload it or whatever, um, that's it. You know, they'll never, there'll never be another cosmic treadmill on my to do list ever again. And uh, like I said, it's been a long time. It's been two and a half years, and still, I, I, I just can't do it. It's been almost three years now, and I still, there's still like a mental block there where I can't do it. So I was going to do that in November, and I didn't. Um, I was also planning on doing some um, new blog projects in November. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I wanted to cover. I'd been, you know, mentally making a list of uh, different topics and just. You know, some of those things like, you know, it's very Chris things, you know, stuff that really doesn't get much play, stuff that really isn't going to have much of a wide appeal, but just stuff that uh, tickles me and uh, stuff I want to discuss and share. But <laughs> one day I woke up and um, I couldn't read. Uh, and, and this isn't anything, um, you know, normal. Uh, it's just that it seemed like overnight, my prescription changed. My my eyeglass prescription changed. I could not make out words. You know, if I squinted or held my glasses like away from my face, I could read. You know, I could still make out words, but it hurt. <laughs> like it gave me a tremendous headache. Even in just reading like half an issue of a current year book, uh, it just a splitting headache. You know, and I didn't know what was going on. I. I panicked you know it's like yesterday I could read today I can't yesterday I could see today I can't what's going on and so you know I made a doctor's appointment an eye doctor's appointment and I uh, was told that uh, I had a very very cliche case um, I guess when you're around 42 or 43 that can happen your eyes kind of just change at that age and this was November of 2022 when I was 42 years old with uh, one month to go till I was 43 so I was like right there right there in the uh, perfect uh, you know time span for this sort of thing to happen so there I was finally back with a little bit of inspiration and um, well the inability to read like I could read things digitally you know um, I would have to pinch on the screen of course to make the words big enough but around this time, it's like, like I said, snake bit. Everything was snake bit. I was using a fourth generation iPad, which is to say like a 11-year-old iPad. Very, very old. But I only used it to read Marvel Unlimited. That's the only thing I had it for. You know, I'm not much of a tablet guy. So I, I really just don't see much use for them in, in you know my lifestyle. I got a laptop. I have a phone. That's pretty much where I'm at and I hardly use the phone for very many things either but 
I had this tablet, a you know ancient tablet, and I guess right in the middle of November or towards Thanksgiving, Apple rolled out like an obsolescence wave, <laughs> which made it so even though I could you know access Marvel Unlimited, once I got inside Marvel Unlimited, there was nothing there. So I was kind of... I was kind of screwed. You know, I couldn't read things on paper. I, I couldn't... Like, if I held my license out in front of me, I couldn't tell you my name. I, that's how blurry my vision had gotten. You know, I could see, like, well enough to, like, walk across the room. <laughs> or I could even drive. But I just couldn't read anything. I couldn't focus down to, like, finer details. So I was out of commission uh, in as far as uh, reading was concerned. I mean, even though I prefer to read things physical, you know, paper, um, even, you know, the current year stuff, I definitely prefer reading that on paper. But in this situation, it was like, oh, I can, I'm so far behind on the current year X-Men stuff that I can just pull it up on the Unlimited. And I can squeeze in and I can pinch in and I can see everything that I need to see and still be able to make it work. Uh, I'll have to have like a 16 or 18 point font on my script, but it'll work, you know, in a pinch, it will work. But thanks to the obsolescence wave, that was not to be. And I mean, I, I tried everything to get this to work. I tried, like, emulating Android on an iPad, trying just to pull up the Android version of Marvel Unlimited, and uh, yeah, I wasted, like, three days on that. Until I finally came across a post, it's like, yeah, that, that can't happen. You can't do that. And I was like, well, why didn't I find that three days ago? It was a... Uh, Quite the disaster. I, I finally wound up um, on New Year's Day, uh, just uh, what seven or eight days ago, as of this recording. Uh, Best Buy had like this cheap Samsung tablet for like a hundred bucks, so I, I went and I grabbed that, uh, loaded Marvel Unlimited on it, and uh, we were off to the races. And that's kind of how we're here now. And I mean, I can read now. I got a new prescription. It's still not you know perfect because I you know my eyes really really suck, <laughs> but. Uh, it's, uh, it's better than it was, and I can read, but, um, you know, with the Essentials books, like we're going to cover today, it's a lot easier for me just to pull it up on a tablet than dig through. I mean, that's another thing. We're still in the process of moving. It's been two years, and we're still in boxes. We still are between two houses. It's, it's ridiculous. So I don't know where, you know, my Essentials are. Um, I don't feel like digging through boxes. I don't feel like digging through just everything to find these things. So... Marvel Unlimited makes it a lot easier in that regard, so that's where we're at. Um, I, I do apologize for indulging in my exploits or non-exploits of the past uh, several months, but um, I'll just have to try to remember to put a put a footnote in there saying, you know, skip ahead to, what is it, like an hour and a half into this episode before you hear some comic book content. But um, with all that said, how about we finally get into this, and... Actually, you know, one more thing. <laughs> one more thing. Uh, I didn't know which show to come back with. Um, I thought about coming back with regular old X-Laps, you know, just continuing on with our current year stuff. But um, turns out Absence didn't make the heart grow fonder. Um, I tried reading... Uh, the book we're up to on regular X-Laps is Legion of X number two. Not a bad issue. Not a bad issue at all. Um, I've read it like four times now. But just a kind of a nothing issue. And I don't know. It just didn't feel 
I didn't feel the old spark. And I mean, pun intended, I guess, if you li- if you read, you know, Way of X and the whole spark thing, but uh, I just didn't feel it. And I even jumped around a little bit, which is very out of character for me, but I was like, got to find something to come back with, you know, something special. You know, it's weird just to come back with a regular old episode, which is kind of what I'm doing now with the Essential Show, but... It's like maybe we'll jump ahead to some a you know AXE stuff, the Avengers, X Men, Eternals, Michigas, and I couldn't, I, I didn't like that either. You know, I, I tried jumping around to several different books as just a way to kind of kick things back off, and I guess I'm just not there yet, or maybe I'm just not there anymore. Yeah, I mean, never say never, of course. You you just never know. I. I when I woke up this morning, I didn't think I'd be recording this. So, who knows? <laughs> we'll see as uh, we hopefully move forward. But um, with that said, despite the fact that uh, I can't get into the current year stuff right now, we've always got the essentials. And uh, well, we're starting with the end of the X Men. Interestingly enough, today we're talking about X Men number forty-six, July nineteen sixty-eight cover date. As mentioned, the title is the end of the X Men. Written by Gary Friedrich with layouts by Don Heck. Pencils Werner Roth, inks John Tartaglioni, letters Artie Simic, edit Stan Lee, cover price 12 cents. Now our cover features the Juggernaut tearing apart a stone X with each of our main characters in the segments of the X. Now, as we'll come to learn, there might be a little bit of a double meaning to this, to this image. And also... It's worth noting that this is the fifth of seven issues where the X-Men title is downplayed greatly by the title of the story within. So the cover here, at the very top of it, if you're not familiar with this era, it just says the X-Men featuring in relatively small print, and then the end of the X-Men is in big print. So if you're looking at this on the newsstand, what you're seeing is the end of the X-Men, basically. Oh, and also, I don't know if it's worth noting, but the story title isn't mentioned anywhere inside the book. Oh, well. Anyway, we open with our five young heroes stood before the gravesite of their fallen mentor, the recently deceased Charles Xavier. And uh, they are lost in thought, and uh, also very, very verbose grief. Now, one thing about this Friedrich guy that jumps out at me is his penchant to tell rather than show. And we'll see a lot more of that during the upcoming action scene. Uh, wherein the characters are basically describing exactly what's happening on panel. Anyway, Beast thinks about what life might be like for the X-Men without the guidance of the Professor. Angel thinks back to their recent run-in with Magneto, which was during the Avengers crossover that we covered here on the show something like a hundred years ago. Cyclops, as is his wont, thinks about how all the responsibilities are about to fall onto his shoulders, and, um, well, he ain't wrong. You just wait. Finally, Jean wishes this was nothing but a bad dream. We don't get any thoughts from Bobby, who I'm assuming is just singing the Meow Mix song to himself off in the corner. The gang is approached by the professor's old... buddy? I think they were pals. Um, in any case, it's Fred... Well, no, check that. It's Amos Duncan. Fred Amos Duncan. Framus! Now, uh, Framus says he hopes that Scott remembers him, and uh, Smiley Stan concurs in an editor's note, reminding us that Duncan showed up during Cyclops' origin story in the backup of X-Men number 39. Though, I suppose this note might have had a little bit more impact had uh, Gary Friedrich remembered that Amos's first name was Fred. Anyway, 
Framus has some urgent business with the Uncannies, and so they head back into the Institute to hash it out. However, upon arrival, they're met by the saggy-jowled, foggy Nelson. Now, he's here to go over the particulars of Professor X's last will and testament, which, I mean, uh, the quick and dirty of it is, uh, leave everything to Scott to handle. <laughs> like, seriously, Xavier is laying all of this on the shoulders of some poor teenager, which is a kind of a dick move, uh, doubly so when we find out that, uh, spoiler alert, Chuck faked his own death. So yeah, Scott gets the school, all the stuff that goes in it, all the money, and he's also tasked with starting a charitable fund to help other gifted children. And I gotta ask here, uh, is it any wonder that Scott grew up to be such a mess? I don't think so. Anyway, Foggy wraps up and takes his leave. Warren wishes him the best of luck in his campaign for district attorney. Stan drops an editorial footnote here, referring us over to recent issues of Daredevil for all the details. Now, Foggy calls the kids straight-thinking youngsters before zipping away in his hoopty. Back inside, Framus lights up his pipe and sets to reveal why he's here to chat with the kids. However, at that very moment, we're dropped into the Crimson Cosmos, where we're reunited with the Juggernaut. It just so happens that... Okay, uh, this makes zero sense, but we will play along. Now, sometime between banishing Kane to the cosmos and faking his own death, Professor X gimmicked up one of his machines to... retrieve and free the Juggernaut from the Crimson wherever the hell. And so that's exactly what happens here. Kane Marco is zasked away from the Crimson Cosmos and deposited directly into his stepbrother's basement. Upon materializing, Kane somehow knows the exact piece of machinery responsible for bringing him back, and so, fearing that it could be a round-trip situation, he destroys it. Now, the X-Men hear the racket from down below, and they suit up. Now, I'm not sure how they explain this to Duncan. I think... I, th I think Duncan knows that the X-Men are these kids, so I guess we don't have to worry about uh, dual identities here. So, down in the basement, the X-Men confront the Juggernaut. Kane says he's here to exact revenge on his stepbrother. Angel informs Marco that Professor X is dead. Juggs doesn't believe him and assumes the kids are just trying to trick him, and thus, it's time to fight. Now, it's here where the true charisma of Gary Friedrich's writing begins to come alive. Which is to say, this is a case of comics for the blind. Um, now, everything that happens on panel is written out in detail in a word balloon, thought bubble, or caption. It's it, Maybe Friedrich wasn't too keen on the Marvel style, you know, the Marvel method. I really don't know. Anyway, Juggernaut has the X-Men on the defensive, all except Iceman, who I might need to remind you is the youngest member of our little group. And uh, while that's kind of become a meme here on the show, I assure you that it is stated here in black and white on panel. Anyway, Bobby blasts Jugs encasing him in ice, which I can't remember if we refer to that as Iceman Protocol 1 or 2. And I'm sure it's going to come as a complete shock to you that the Juggernaut is able to burst free of this ice shell, right? Now, freed from his ice cocoon, Juggernaut Kool-Aid mans his way through a wall and then grabs Agent Framus Duncan. He hoists the G-Man up to the ceiling while using his lesser-said catchphrase, which is, uh, nobody questions the Juggernaut. Fred Amos is tossed out a window, probably to his death. Well, okay, he's, he's not dead, but he did get sent through a window, which probably hurt. Anyway, Juggernaut bursts through yet another wall as the X-Men give chase. 
all the while attempting to get through to Cain that they're not pulling his leg about Xavier's passing. Juggs decides that there's only one way to clear this up, and so he runs over to the nearby graveyard to see for himself. Like, was Xavier buried on the mansion lawn or something? There's only one grave here. Yeah, who knows? In any event, Juggernaut sees the tombstone, and, um, well, that's <laughs> really all it took to convince him. But, uh, as it stands now, we still got five pages to fill, so the fight ain't over just yet. Now, as we kick off the battle here, it's pretty much a redo of every single X-Men vs. Juggernaut fight. Until... Wait a minute. Kane Marco begins emitting what Beast refers to as globules of sheer energy from out of his body. It kind of looks like discs of liquid metal. Like, you know... Like, you ever see, like, a slow-motion video of a dog, like, a wet dog shaking off, and, like, the water beads, you know, come flying off of it? It kind of looks like that. I can't explain it. I don't know if we ever see it again. I don't remember this <laughs> at all. It looks very stupid. Uh, anyway, the kids deftly dodge the discs, and Jean lets out a blast of her uh, recently inherited telepathy. Which... Okay, I'm pretty sure we've already discussed how silly it was that Professor X was able to just give Gene telepathic powers, so we will not belabor that. Instead, how's about we talk about how Gene was able to effectively use these TP powers on the Juggernaut while he was still wearing his helmet? I mean, outside of super strength and unstoppability, his whole telepathic immunity when helmeted is a pretty big part of his gimmick, right? Oh, well, a lot of continuity gaffes in this one, and still somehow more cohesive than a current yearbook, go figure. Anyway, Kane takes this mental attack as a sign that his brother does yet live. I mean, Juggernaut is quite wishy-washy on all that. Uh, he puts Angel in a headlock and threatens to snap his neck if they don't lay off. And so, Gene drops the telepathic onslaught. Just then, Juggernaut is yanked once again into the Crimson Cosmos. But how? You might be asking, and so am I. I thought the machine was broken, you might say to yourself, as will I. Now, Scott attempts to explain it away as a failsafe that the professor put into the cosmic exile, which, you know, begs the question, why even put a backdoor measure into it to begin with? I mean, okay. Alrighty, so, the fight's over. Juggernaut fulfilled his role of, I suppose eating up the entire middle portion of an issue uh, before going back to where he came from. A little bit of a circular story. Uh, anyway, that's not important. That's not important at all, because we got to get back to Agent Framus Duncan in hopes that he might finally be able to, you know, spill the beans on what he's been trying to tell the kids for like 14 pages now. Which reminds me that this has only been 14 pages. Holy cow. Anyway, Fred gathers up the uncannies before telling them that he's there to ensure that they split up. Hmm, he claims that it's too dangerous for them to be together in a post-professor world. He says they're just targets for the ever-growing threat of evil mutants. Now, he explains that they'll each receive a letter the next day with instructions on where they are to go. Now, that takes us to the end of our tale. The kids are all packed up and deep in thought. Bobby feels like he's been orphaned as he prepares to, you know, move back in with his parents. Um, Jean feels like she's lost her family as she prepares to, you know, move back in with her family. 
Scott worries that he's letting the woman he loves walk out of his life forever, but chickens out of actually saying anything. Now, Jean takes this to mean that the man she loves doesn't love her back. And, after a blurb threatening us with, I mean, I mean, promising us the return of Mahayogi, we are out of here. Well, kinda. We're not done yet. We are headed back into the origins of the Uncanny X-Men backup strip. But before that, um... Is there really anything to say about this, uh, this feature presentation? Eh, not really. Uh, the X-Men kind of feel like an afterthought right now. I feel like they're getting very little editorial attention. And I could be projecting, of course. But, um, this was just a, you know, Monster of the Week sort of story. Of course, there's room for those, especially back in the Silver Age. But, um, yeah, it didn't really do much for me. And, uh, the few, uh, you know, continuity gaffes here really reinforce the idea that, you know, nobody's paying attention. <laughs> nobody's paying attention at all. But uh, yeah, I think outside of what I've already said, I don't have much more to say about it. So let's hop into the backup here. The story is called And Then There Were Two, written by Gary Friedrich, with pencils by George Tusca. Inks John Tartaglioni, letters Artie Simic, edits Stan Lee. Now, picking up where I think we left off, you know, like, a hundred years ago when we last discussed these, uh, we've got Scott and Bobby surrounded by a bunch of heavily armed yokels. They're led by, oh, come on, a, a dude named Clem, and they're planning on lynching our young mutants. Suddenly, Sheriff something or another bursts in and tries to break up the fracas. He's attacked by the yokels, and the boys are lassoed. Now, as the baddies set up their hanging tree, Professor X races to the site in his Rolls Royce. He reaches out to Scott to tell him to... You know, use his optic blasts. Who'd have thunk it? Um, now, Scott does just that, freeing himself from the ropes. He tells Bobby to ice up and do his thing, despite the fact that he's already been iced up for the entire story up to this point. The boys escape, heading back to the Drake home. Might be worth noting that uh, Bobby's dad isn't, uh, hasn't yet become the bigot that we'll know him to be in his later days. Now, Xavier shows up at the Drake home and gives the lay of the land. Which is to say, he runs a school, and he's collecting mutant children to serve his needs. And so Bobby's all, well, I guess that means I'm going with him then. <laughs> and, well, that's it. That's where it ends. We've got two X-Men now. Uh, next issue, we are promised a special feature on Iceman's powers, which is to say we're probably going to see a lot of bad guys encased in ice, uh, maybe a snowball or two thrown for good measure. It's probably going to be even less fun than I'm describing it to be. But we will worry about that next time. Now, before we jump into the mutant mailbox, I do want to go over some notes from a, a book I'd gotten for Christmas. Now, this is a 2015's Marvel Comics in the 1960s by Pierre Comtois. Comtois? I don't know how to speak French. Uh, this came from Tomorrow's. And um, it was a book that I'd forgotten that I even had on my Amazon wish list, but I, I, I haven't curated my Amazon wish list in probably four or five years. So this was on there, so I got it, and I'm, I'm happy I got it. Now, this book didn't comment all that much on the X-Men, however, did devote near a page to this very issue, mostly to illustrate how lousy the book had gotten by this point. Now, Pierre would say, by the time of X-Men number 46, the title had come into some dire straits. No kidding. Now, Pierre calls out Roy Thomas for his penchant to overwrite, as well as referring to Werner Roth as one of Marvel's most unexciting artists. 
He says that Don Heck was a welcome and necessary addition to the book. However, due to the fact that Werner Roth was inking Don Heck's work, any and all impact was lost. I mean, I can't speak for everybody, and I wouldn't want to say anything disparaging about Don Heck, but Don Heck ain't exactly Mr. Electricity himself, is he? I don't know. Uh, Now, Pierre suggests that the X-Men's insular nature hurt the title, while at the same time he runs down Roy Thomas's attempt at having them mingle with the Avengers as, quote, trying to fit round pegs into square holes. He describes some of the desperate measures that Marvel took with the X-Men to combat its, quote, hemorrhaging sales. And of course, no hard numbers are given, but it is fairly agreed upon by, you know, comics historians and the people in the bullpen of the day that the X-Men were not doing good in the sales charts. Now, some of these desperate measures included changing up the costumes and also changing the cover copy to not be X-Men, but X-Men featuring. Now, Roy Thomas would say in the X-Men Companion Volume 1, quote, Since the X-Men weren't selling, Stan had this idea that we'd be the first company to have a different title above every issue heralding a different character. And so we did that for several issues. I don't remember how well it worked. Obviously, it didn't work very well for very long. And like I said at the start of this uh, this bit here, it was seven issues they did that for, and uh, we've got two more to go after this one. Uh, another de- a desperate measure they took was killing off Professor X in X-Men number 42, and also breaking up the team in this very issue. Pierre would later um, kind of suggest that Roy Thomas abandoned this book when he realized it was beyond saving, and just dumped it on uh, poor Arnold Drake. Which, I mean, Gary Friedrich wasn't first, but um, yeah, Arnold Drake is coming next. Uh, Roy would say in Titan Books' uh, comics creators on the X-Men that he just got busy with other work, and, well, something had to give. And he also says that it was probably Stan Lee's idea for him to move on anyway. Now, Pierre explains that the next few issues following this will focus on stories of individual members rather than the team, but not to worry, they'll come back together shortly for another string of, quote, badly produced books. Dang, you know, tell us how you really feel, Pierre. Uh, Not that I necessarily disagree much. Um, The next issue of X-Men that Pierre will mention in the book is uh, number 50. So if I remember, maybe I'll include a bit of that when we get there in, what is it, uh, four episodes, three episodes? Sometime soon. Sometime soon. Um, But uh, with that said, let's hop into the, uh, you know, the back half of this thing here. We're going to look at the Mutant Mailbox. And I tell you what, reading these letters pages on, on a tablet is so much more fun than, you know, alt-tabbing between, <laughs> between you know, my script and the, and the damn, you know, JPEG or whatever. And honestly, I'd forgotten how fun the, you know, the back matter of these books can be here. The, the mailbox, the bullpen bulletins, something I, I didn't realize how much I missed until, uh, until popping back in here. Anyway, let's, let's get into our letters for today. Uh, we got Louis in Alberta, or maybe it's Louis in Alberta. Now, he says that uh, the passing of Charles Xavier left him speechless for days. Like, for real. It's five days of silent mourning for the professor. Uh, Louis says that it was risky to kill the professor, but it was done in a most realistic way. Says that it was the most dramatic scene in the history of Marvel Comics, and he warns Stan and the gang not to ever undo it. Now, Stan replies by saying that there's very little chance we'll ever see the Professor alive again. Uh, He explains that even if 90% of Marvel fans voted for him to be brought back, well, you can all shove it, because he's never coming back. 
Next up, we got Robert in Spokane, who eulogizes the professor in some very, very cringy purple prose that we're not going to read. Stan thanks him for his time. Next up, we got Carol from the University of Washington, and, uh, uh uh-oh, we got someone in education giving our comic book about mutant children a failing grade for not being realistic. She decides to give Stan an F, and hopefully he'll give her one in return. Um, She belabors the point that Scott's powers are not the same as photosynthesis. I I don't know if Carol has a degree in optic blasts. Maybe maybe that's her minor, optic blasting? I don't know. Uh, Now Stan, ever the statesman, offers a whoops, but he also says that they never said that Cyclops' powers were just like photosynthesis just that they're not completely unlike photosynthesis. So uh, you could take your no prize and shove it, Carol. Next up, Jerry in Ohio. Loved the Death Professor X so much that he wanted to mangle his comic book to cut out and hang the panels on his wall. He suggests to Stan that they start to include an obituary checklist on the bullpen bulletin page, and also says that they should speed it up with more killing. Okay. Uh, Stan says that they've got a lot more surprises in the works, but maybe don't expect too much of a Marvel bloodshed. Now, uh, speaking of the bullpen bulletins page, this is a shorter um, letters page that Stan actually apologizes for. He just says that they ran out of pages this month, so this is a short one. The next one will be quite a bit longer. So, bullpen bulletins page here, uh, subtitle, Gangway World, Marvel's Marching On. Item... Silver Surfer gets his own mag. Now, issue one promises to be the longest, greatest, and dullest origin story in Marvel history. It's by Stan and uh, John Buscema. Item. Not brand ech is such a massive hit that it's going double size from this point on. So it's going to cost you two bits, and we'll have twice as many awful jokes. And for real, I mean, you can check out episode 60 of this program from 100 years ago, where we talked about a bruch X-Men ditty. And that's a bruch, as in brand Eck, and also as in bruch. Item. The Spectacular Spider-Man magazine was a sellout hit. Now, if you don't see it, ask the friendly drunkard who works at your local newsstand to order it. Or wait a couple months for the full-color version to come out. We'll talk about that another time, I'm sure. Next up, we got Stan's Soapbox, where he says that he gets a lot of complaints that collecting all of the Mighty Marvels is becoming too expensive. Fans tell him that they publish way too many great books to keep up with. And I I mean, wow, I wonder how many of those fans are still around in 2023. Probably not many. Stan says that they only publish so many titles because the fans literally begged for them. Iron Man and Captain America fans demanded they get their own titles and not share books anymore. The same with all the other shared feature books, you know? We got uh, Submariner's got his own title, Doctor Strange has his own book now, Hulk's got his own book. It's, yeah, we're, we're really spreading things out here. Now, Stan says that they try not to publish too many 25-cent books, but, hey, the fans demand those as well. And, uh, well, that's all he really says about it. So, uh... What say you, gentle listener? Is this a case of uh, too much of a good thing? Or, well, you know, too much of a predatory, exploitative hobby run amok? Uh, The world may never know. Speaking of uh, the Marvels run amok, let's get into the mighty Marvel checklist. First up, we got the 35-cent Spectacular Spider-Man number one, which is 52 pages, uh, glossy pages at that of action. Don't you dare miss it. We got Not Brand Ugh, number nine. Now, as we mentioned earlier, it's king-sized. 
and still so tragic that FEMA might have to be called in to wipe its existence from our minds. In it, Stan promises the Marvel take on Bonnie and Clyde, so uh, who says wishes don't come true? Silver Surfer number one, The Origin, featuring the Fantastic Four, Hulk, and Galactus. Fantastic Four number 77, featuring the, the Silver Surfer and Galactus. Hmm. Spider-Man number 63 promises the original Vulture lives again. Marvel Superheroes number 15, featuring Medusa, probably the second least boring of the Inhumans. After Lockjaw, of course. Avengers number 54 promises a sinister sixum, featuring the Melter, Claw, Radioactive Man, Whirlwind, Black Knight, and the Crimson Cowl. Daredevil number 42 features the Jester and the fallout of the death of Matt's brother Mike Murdock. Mighty Thor number 154, Thor vs. Mangog. Captain America number 104 features Steve as slave of the Red Skull. Uh, Cap's got a strip of nuclear tape on his neck. Aye, aye, aye. Incredible Hulk number 106 pits our Jade Giant versus the Missing Link. Iron Man number 4 has the return of the Uncanny Unicorn. So hold on to your asses. Submariner number 4, Namor versus Atuma and some underwater fight scenes. They, they really promoted the underwater fight scenes. I'm not kidding. Captain, no, no, Captain Marvel, number four. Quote, Marvel's space-born superhero, and we have him versus the Submariner. Hmm, a lot of heroes doing double duty this month, right? Next, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., number three, featuring the Hellhounds of Ravenlock. Doctor Strange, number 171, Steven seeks out Clea. Still, I think he was doing that a hundred years ago when we last covered an issue. Uh, Sergeant Fury number 56, rescuing a jazz singer from a Nazi stronghold. Captain Savage number four versus Baron Strucker, and also the origin of Hydra. And finally, reprints in Marvel Collector's Item Classics number 16 and Marvel Tales number 15. And well, that's, that's gonna do it. Finally done with this first episode back. It only took a, a very, very long time to do, and I... Uh, Almost as long a time to record it. How about that? But um, that's where we're going to leave it. Uh, I'd like to thank you all so much uh, for coming back, if you did, or for trying the show out, if uh, that's what you're doing. Uh, again, I apologize for the wildly indulgent first half of this program. Of course, I'd love to hear from you if you want to talk about well, anything. If you want to say hello, <laughs> I'd love to hear from you. You can find me uh, at Ace Comics on Twitter. I'm not really on there very much anymore. I, I, it's weird, I stepped back from social media at a time where it became kind of fashionable to step back from Twitter, and uh, I assure you, that was just uh, timing, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't realize I was on a bandwagon until, uh, I guess, after the fact, but uh, I do pop in on there occasionally, maybe I get notifications, I'm not sure, I don't really, there's not much going on there for me now, so, uh, Ace Comics on Twitter, uh, weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, of course, uh, we have the Facebook group that is, uh, you know, x-lapsed, easy to find if you want to. And the site is uh, still chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. But um, I think that's about it. One last thank you for sharing some of your day with me. And uh, what the hell did I used to say at the end of these things? It used to just roll off the tongue. Now I'm searching for it. Uh, something about a uh, talk to you again soon, maybe? Well, hopefully I will. <laughs> anyway, thanks again. See ya. <laughs>